When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. drift, while not immediately apparent, had been slowly getting worse for about a half a mile. Two massive birds pulling the chariot lazily flapped their broad wings, keeping Ryleth, Ablor, and their host hovering a few feet from the ground, but inching ever closer to the tree, trunks lining the road. Ryleth widened his stance and braced himself in case their host and driver, Provost Nozo of the University of Oyakoto, failed to correct his team. How they managed to stay on the road at all was a mystery not solved from looking at the birds themselves. Heads the size of a mastiff's, with eyes like a chameleon and a beak like a giant parrot, the creatures looked more like a child's drawing come to life than anything that Ryleth had ever seen. And he had once spent a night drinking with a centaur and a bollywog. The road banked and the chariot slammed against a tree with a thud. The ridiculous bird squawked and the provost snapped his reins. Sorry, these are new birds. Wondrous creatures, do they fly higher than this in the wild? Ryla smoothed his tunic. He wore the official garb of an Obra Coast Training Company trade minister, but he may as well have been covered in flump skin for as comfortable as he felt. The job required this manner of deception from time to time, but it was never Ryla's favorite. Still, something about this place made his hair stand up. Semi-competent birds of burden didn't ease his apprehension. Cassasis birds? No, they mostly just putz about. Their host's fur shone underneath several layers of tightly woven robes that Ryleth assumed indicated his station. His vertical pupils narrowed at the evening sunlight. His mouth curved into a smile, but his eyes had focus. We grow the most incredible pineapples, much larger than any you've seen from the west, and their beaks are about the right height to crack into them. Perhaps that's an export we could discuss if it comes to a trade agreement. Perhaps... Avalor's voice said just the hint of a dismissal. There are still the rumors we've heard of these islands. The smile vanished from their host's feline face. Avalor grinned and leaned in toward Nozo. Or perhaps, I'm just not a fan of pineapples. Nozo nervously laughed. Once again, please excuse the lack of formal reception, ministers. It's been many years since representatives from the company have visited Oyakoto. Indeed, we do not get many visitors at all in recent years. Yours is the first mainland ship, other than the Dorlea, of course, to make port at our island since... Well, I can't recall. Ablor nodded but didn't say anything, instead letting the tabaxi's behavior speak for him. His long, well-groomed whiskers twitched, as did his right ear, just slightly. There was the quickest of glances behind Ablor's shoulder where the resplendent company vessel Dolphin's Laughter sat at anchor in the bay, 
her triple mass proudly flying the shield sigil known all over the world, a sextant, a torch, a pair of crossed keys, and an opened eye. Nozo's bloodshot eyes flash back to Avalor, down to the same insignia sewn on the breast of his doublet, then back up to the big elf's eyes, though their natural red was disguised to calming blue. This man was short on sleep, long on problems, and nervous. The presence of two company ministers did little to help his state. So there is at least some truth to these tales. Abelor smiled. When he wanted to, the elf could melt his icy features into a puddle of reassurance, like an old friend eager to help. It's a shame, Master Provost, that the company has taken so long to visit your beautiful islands. The free states of the east, of course, have had a long relationship with Oyakoto, but we hope you won't be opposed to new friends. Truth be told, Minister, our old friends haven't been the most loyal. Safe for old Captain Oric, though he hasn't spoken explicitly for Hosk for decades. And after his last journey, we worry we may not see him again either. Rough seas out of the north, Ryloth asked, doing his best to look as friendly as Avalor, though his weathered human skin betrayed more of his true lifestyle than his elven partner. Ryloth was amenable to putting on the disguise of trade minister, but he drew the line at magical alterations to his face. He found the glamour slightly blurred his vision. A rough charter, actually. One of our professors and his team recently returned unexpectedly from sabbatical on the mainland. He brought some chaotic outside, sorry, no offense, sirs, some mainlanders with him that perilous journey, coupled with our domestic issues, likely scared the good captain off for a bit. I have to say, it was fortunate you arrived when you did. I've been arguing for contacting your company for some time, but... The provost was cut off as the left bird bumped his oversized head into a tree trunk as the road banked right. It squawked and chittered at his partner, who pulled hard in the other direction to compensate, causing the chariot to lurch. Ryleth gripped the railing tighter, keeping his footing, but Nozo bumped into Abelor, who stood, as always, stiff as an obelisk. Sorry, new birds, Nozo offered. He snapped the reins, getting the birds back on course. Abelor made a sudden clicking sound with his tongue, and the birds stopped and landed, folding their oversized wings over their short bodies. No, I'm sorry, provost, for I feel I must be blunt. I hardly felt it necessary to so blatantly state that the Ombra Coast Trading Company only engages in exclusive contracts. And if you brought us here under some sort of ruse designed to stoke competitive negotiation with one of your eastern partners, I am afraid you must turn your birds around and return us to our ship. While his partner towered over the provost, Rylas stepped off the chariot and looked back towards the dolphin to assist the charade. It really was a stunning island. The high walls of the mountains created an almost window for travelers to and from the university to gaze toward the southern sea. They were about half a mile down the road, maybe 2,500 feet or so above the water, as best Ryleth could guess. And the city of Five Docks cascaded down the mountain below him before tumbling into the bay. But what should have been a bustling port full of rowdy sailors and young students escaping their studies under a beautiful sunset instead looked more like a city under siege. The docks themselves, large enough to easily service 15 carracks the size of the dolphin at once, were empty save for the company ship and a few strange vessels that looked more like rafts. Few lights burned in the buildings and many windows were covered in boards. There were warding symbols on signposts spread at even intervals along major streets. Something definitely wasn't right. 
Minister, please, I meant no offense. I assure you, these passengers may have come from the mainland, but they were no traitors, sir. Nozo was trying to get the birds moving again, but with each snap of the reins, they would just stand on their tiny legs, scratch a spot with their absurd beaks, and return to roost. They rejected our professor's invitation to the university and instead joined with some of the reef hunters. Now I'm sorry for these birds, but we really must be going. He dropped the reins and tried to push one of the birds, but the creature wouldn't budge. Nozo quickly looked at the setting sun, then to Ablor, who stood as still as the mountain behind him, with his hands calmly floated behind his back. Nozo took a step toward Ryleth, holding his hands toward the sun as if Ryleth should know what he means. Whether they were thrill-seekers, trophy hunters, or just rich idiots looking to part with their coin, I have no idea, but they most certainly were not interested in aiding this island or the university. They left for the reef weeks ago and haven't been heard from since. Now can we please discuss this further in my office? We'll be much more comfortable, I guarantee it. Ablor made the slightest movement with his right pointer finger, and Ryleth stepped back on the chariot. He got the answer he was looking for. The rumors are true. Something happens after sundown on this island. Something happens after sundown on this island that has people terrified. Terrified enough to shut down immensely valuable shipping routes. Terrified enough to post warding spells around town, to board up windows. And terrified enough to plead with people to leave the streets before dark. Apologies for the misunderstanding, Provost. One does not achieve the reputation of the OCTC without being cautious when it comes to business. By all means, let us continue. The elf clicked his tongue and the bird swooped into motion, forcing Nozo to run and hop with just enough grace to land on the chariot. Ryleth helped him to his feet. The provost's fur stood fully perpendicular to his skin by the time the trio reached the university. The multi-layered castle complex stood proudly anchored to the side of a dormant volcano. Each of its many levels had a wide, softly pointed roof designed to resemble the horizon to the south, where the child island of Oyakoto rose from the flat sea. Huge posts were recently erected at intervals around the perimeter of the grounds, each topped with a massive burning basket. The flames flickered in all kinds of colors, throwing bizarre shadows on the white walls of the castle. Whatever this magical fire was consuming, it did not smell particularly pleasant to Ryleth, but he managed to resist the impulse to show it. In the thieves' sign language, he signed, A barrier? A powerful one, judging from the smell. Though his partner appeared to be listening intently as Nozo explained the torches as an experiment from one of the herbalist scholars, he of course noticed Ryleth's sign. My office is just through the main courtyard, this way. Now, I know the company has influence in the Kantos region. There's a particular archaeological site that is of some interest to us. We would love to... Nozo continued to negotiate as they crossed through the courtyard. An impressively curated garden that just felt... good. It was so calming that they were nearly halfway through before Ryleth had the sense to realize he was being charmed. A beautiful garden, Provost. I can see how many great discoveries would be made in an environment such as this. Thank you, Minister. We're particularly proud of this piece. Nozo gestured to the centerpiece of the courtyard, a sculpture of pure magical energy. Each element used as if colors in a painter's palette. This energy was frozen in a still image of a powerful tabaxi mage doing battle with a terrible dragon. The tableau hung in the air about four feet from the ground and stood well over fifteen feet high. Even with the charm broken, it was quite impressive. Yes, quite the masterwork. Shall we continue this discussion in your office? 
Of course, just over there. Ah, good, he's here. Three new tabaxi approached from the north, a man and two women. When they were close enough to see in the torchlight, Ryla's face went pale. The women shared a look. I asked Professor Jen to join us as the faculty member with the most mainland experience. Gentlemen, and he sat toward the nearest building. You wouldn't object to my colleague lingering to admire your statue longer, would you, Provost? It was one of the women who answered. You wouldn't mind at all. It would be our pleasure to teach the minister about our history. Our pleasure indeed, echoed her companion. Of course, of course, let us proceed. It's only getting darker. And with that, the other men left, leaving Ryleth and the women alone in the courtyard. Hello, Ryleth. Billy. Mika. Billy, the taller of the two, took a step toward him, one hand on the hilt of a long, single-edged sword tucked in the belt of her robes. She held the other hand out as if to shake hands before twisting her palm upward with a flash and baring her claws. She looked at Ryleth and smirked. I'll show you mine. Ryleth looked around. They were alone in the courtyard and there was no real sense in hiding now. He's no minister and they know it. With a sigh and a shrug, he touched the OCTC emblem on his doublet and his clothing shimmered and then transformed into his usual hard black leather armor. His weapons materialized at his belt and his hand went instinctively to the hilt of his own sword, a heavy broadsword with a basket hilt of woven black oak as hard as any steel. Flecks of silver glimmered in the wood under the moonlight. You got me. Surprised to see us? Of course not. You always manage to land on your feet. No thanks to you. Mika circled him, positioning herself behind Ryleth, her hands faintly glowing with magic. Just business. Those ruins sit on top of property the OCTC rightfully owns after purchasing it from the Shanksgarian duchy. Everything within those borders was included in the sale. The contracts are stored back in Omrindina, but I'm sure we could get copies sent here in a few weeks if you want to check yourselves. You used us. Who better to hunt treasure than treasure hunters? Don't belittle us with that. You know we're researchers. Those artifacts were created with incredible magics, and if properly studied, could lead to... Ryleth blew a long, wet raspberry with his mouth. How dare you? Billy stepped closer, and Ryleth felt Mika mirror her movements. Better for him the closer they are. It'll keep Mika from using her more powerful spells, and he could probably get them both with a well-placed sweep. They could dive in different directions, though, and he'd miss one. Not if he went for Mika with his dirk, he thought, as his other hand loosened the blade in its scabbard. Don't pretend, Bill, like you weren't there hunting treasure. Magic items are good for one thing, the power they contain. All magic is just the harnessing and shaping of power. Right here, in this statue, there's enough destructive force to blow apart half this castle. You call it art. You call the items we found in those ruins artifacts, but we both know they were weapons. There's no difference in you hoarding them here, on your island, or us in our vaults. We'll never use them. And neither will the company, of course. Until, like all powers at our disposal, some fool forces our hand. We bring control to chaos where you just bring about more dusty scrolls no one will ever read. This university is just another treasure hoard. Stolen by a fuel-hardy person from a higher power like so many others. That dragon may have guarded the riches that built this place and this mountain forever. 
That would have been a better use of any of this than the dangers your lot have unleashed on yourselves. <laughs> Billy laughed. Such cynicism from the scary shadow hand. You're supposed to be the secret helmsman at the till of the world? Where's your belief in your cause? Like I said, their faces were inches apart. Ryleth could feel the energy growing from Mika's spell at his back. He heard the soft ripple of fabric as Billy drew her blade. His own was halfway from its scabbard. Just business. He split his legs apart and fell to the ground as Mika let her spell go, narrowly missing Billy as she swung just inches above Ryleth's head. The razor's edge of her sword sharp enough to split the stray hairs that had escaped his black leather tie. Ryleth yelled an ancient word and threw the cat's back with a pulse of magical air. Mika slammed into the magical statue, sending the image of the dragon spinning on an invisible axis while Billy, landing on her feet, reset for another run at her foe. Their swords met with a high-pitched ring that echoed through the courtyard. Billy gripped hers with two hands, putting all her weight into each blow while Ryleth countered with broadsword in one hand and Dirk in the other. She was faster than he remembered. Maybe he was slower. All he needed to be was fast enough. Mika recovered enough to fire off another spell, and a jolt of electricity ran through Ryleth like a mouthful of acid. His armor caught most of it, but it knocked him off balance enough for Billy to catch his dagger arm with a glancing blow. Ryleth swore, putting some magic behind the curse, and knocked Billy back a few feet. He flung his dirk at Mika, making contact with her shoulder and sidelining her for the time being. He turned back to Billy, and the two circled each other. Billy held her sword above her head, blade pointed directly at Ryleth's face. He held his off to the side, ready to swing forward with his full might. We should have killed you in that cave. Probably. I know I wouldn't have come back. Their feet moved at the same time as each exploded from their respective stances. In fractions of a second they were upon each other, one blade thrust forward, the other swung with killing intent. And then a door opened. With a reaction so fast it would seem to an outside observer rehearsed, each combatant pulled their blow reeled around, and faced the direction to see Jen, the professor who arrived with Billy and Mika, storm from the provost's office. Kantos, in winter? It's an exile, Nozo, and you know it. It's the first time we have an opportunity to study these sites. The company is being very generous. Are you so desperate for... for help? Yes. Those adventurers you brought did nothing. They abandoned us in the first chance they got for the reef. We need to solve this problem, Jen. Our people are living in fear. There's no contact with the child island. This is our way out of the cycle. As the two male cats argued, Mika pulled the blade from her shoulder, tossed it aside, and discreetly chugged a potion to close the wound. Billy sheathed her sword and smoothed their clothes. She may be able to hide the duel from her boss, but Abelor had already noticed. You have our offer, Provost. We'll be in touch. Without acknowledging the scene in the courtyard, he moved to exit the castle. Ryleth gathered his weapons and fell in line. You can't go out there, sir. Nighttime, on the island, it's as dangerous as you've heard. Ablor turned back to face the professors and revealed his shadow hand uniform. As the minister's garb shimmered in nothingness and the provost realized who he had been talking to, the elf smiled. I assure you, I've dealt with far worse than a few ghosts. The wind howled as Ryleth and Ablor walked through the disturbingly crowded streets of the city. Small fires burned in all sorts of street stalls and ghastly shades of former residents pleaded with them to try some delicacy or purchase some trinket. Ablor would conjure a symbol in magic and rebuke them each time, exposing them for what they were. 
Did you get what you needed? Reports are true, Ab. The Shankscar ruins were 20 years ago, one of my first missions for the company. I left those two for dead as I escaped with the cargo, but there they stood, and they hadn't aged a day. Interesting. Did you get what you needed? Yes, of course. The island leadership is so desperate to reopen trade, the deal assembled by the ministers was hardly argued. The company will turn a hearty profit, as always. And the other matter? Ah, yes, our true mission. Well, I believe a hunt is in store for the morning. Hope you like turtle soup. D&D&D is executive produced, written, and edited by me, James Gressel. Co-produced and additional mixing by Joel Arnold. Our original music is by Jeremy Nisato. Hear more of Jeremy's music at jeremynisato.com. D&D&D is performed by James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, Beth Radloff, Mike Saigan, and Joel Arnold.